Welcome to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. All right. Good morning, church. Welcome back to our... It just spewed when I spoke there. Sorry, let me try this again. Welcome back to our study here on the, uh, all about Jesus as we've been going through the Gospel of John together. In case you're new here or are visiting, we are at the most famous moment of Jesus' life. We are at the moment of his suffering. Today we're going to be talking about his suffering. And then next week we're going to be talking about his death on a cross. And then in two weeks from now we're going to be talking about the day that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. So that's coming up over these next three weeks here. Um, just as a reminder of where we've been coming through, we, uh, three weeks ago we talked about betrayal. Jesus' betrayal by Judas and our, our lives and how we experience times of betrayal and how to navigate those seasons. Two weeks ago, then we talked about lying. Peter denies Jesus. Uh, there's, there's lying right at the heart of that. We talked about lying. Last week, we talked about the great choice that Pilate proclaimed. This choice between the king or the robber. The king or the robber Barabbas and how the people had to choose and they chose the robber. The, the robber. And we looked at how the, the robber comes to steal and to kill and destroy. It says John 10, same word as describing Barabbas. To steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus came that they would have life. And life abundantly. So, so we're looking at that last week, that, that big choice. Uh, what we're going to see today as we go through uh, this passage in John chapter 19 is Jesus endure brutal suffering. Brutal suffering. He's going to endure f- physical pain. He's also going to be mocked. He's going to be humiliated. And this is all going to come from Pilate. Pilate, who believes Jesus is innocent. In fact, three times he's going to declare Jesus' innocence through this, these, this story from last week and today. He's going to try and release Jesus. He believes Jesus is innocent, and yet Jesus is going to be enduring all kinds of suffering um, at the direction of Pilate. And so we kind of have to understand that Pi- from Pilate's perspective, he's trying to save Jesus. He's trying to save Jesus. He's trying to save his life by torturing him. Torturing him, humiliating Jesus, even though some people died via flogging, this was considered much more humane, what Jesus is going through, than death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross is, is the most humiliating, tormenting thing ever. And so even though Jesus is suffering, Pilate is trying to, to spare him and persuade people not to put him to death on a cross. So so yeah, that's, where, that's what's going on as we look at this story today. Pilate's hope is that by, by shaming Jesus enough, by hurting Jesus enough, that the crowds will have pity, and the leaders will have pity when they, just see, when they see how weak and broken Jesus was, but it doesn't work. Let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 19. I'm going to start at verse 1, and we're going we're to dive right in today. Here's what we read in John 19. So after last week, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber or a revolutionary. says this, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, not nicely, by the way, and threw a purple robe around him. 
And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Um, Mark and Matthew, they, they write about Jesus in this moment being stripped of his outer garment, spat upon, mocking, bowing down to him. All of this was prophesied by Isaiah over 700 years earlier. And we have copies of Isaiah from hundreds of years before. We have today, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have ancient copies of the book of Isaiah way before Jesus' time, prophesied before Jesus. And Isaiah wrote in chapter 50, he wrote, he wrote, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. It's prophesied about this moment. So evil, so very, very evil. Verse 4, Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. Here is the man. And now this last statement is a ridicule statement. It's, it's, it's meant to ridicule. It's this thick, this thick ridicule. How can you possibly believe this person who's been flogged and mocked and ripped out beard and spat? How can you possibly believe that this man is a national threat or a religious threat? How can you, here, here's the one that you're so afraid of. Here's the one that you're so jealous of. How can you possibly believe, dripping with ridicule? Verse 6, when the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and, and crucify him yourself, for I find no grounds for, for charging him. Pilate is not interested in, in killing Jesus. He is not interested in seeing Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion. He thinks this is wrong. He doesn't want any part of it. He knows Jesus is innocent. But, but even in this innocence, just look at how brutal the suffering is. The, the abuse, the mockery, the rejection, the, the hated by people, the just vile, vile sufferings. Now, just to remind you that Jesus says things like this. If they're going to treat me this way, they're going to treat you this way. If, if I'm rejected, you're going to be rejected too. If I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer too. This is how they treated me. This is how people are going to treat you. There's, there's a major consistent message all throughout the New Testament and about this life that we, we ought to expect, that we ought to expect suffering in our lives. We ought to expect, family, everyone suffers. Everybody suffers. Everybody goes through suffering, sometimes short but painful seasons, sometimes long seasons, but everyone suffers. If you gave your life to Jesus to expect suffering, or sorry, to escape suffering, if you gave your life to Jesus to escape suffering in this life, that's not part of the deal. That's not part of the deal. There's no promise in the New Testament of a life without suffering. 
No matter how godly you are, no matter how close to Jesus you are, there's no promise for a life without suffering in this life. In this life. There is a promise of that in the life to come, in eternal life with God, where he wipes away, wipes away every tear from our eyes. But in this life, there's no promise for, for uh, freedom from suffering. In fact, if you look at the most godly people in the Bible, you know, like the Moseses and the Pauls and the Jesus, they all have lives full of suffering. And yet, we would like to believe that if we're just close enough to Jesus or if we're closer to Jesus, we'll escape suffering, even though the witness of the Bible is the opposite. We want to believe that if we live a godly life, we'll, we'll get out of suffering. This isn't true. It isn't true in the Bible. It's not true of the examples in the Bible. God doesn't protect us from suffering. But he, but he does, he is able to cut it short. He is able to, to say enough and stop it. He, he is able to do, uh, to do incredible things through the suffering he is able to, to help you walk through seasons of suffering, to comfort you in seasons of suffering, and he's able to redeem suffering and, and make more good out of the suffering than the, the torment in the suffering. And if that seems impossible to you, well, you serve a God who does the impossible every day. He is able to do more good out of the suffering than the torment in the suffering that you're currently receiving. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says this. It says, In the day of prosperity, in the good day, be joyful. But in the day of adversity or suffering, in the, in the hard days, but in the, in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. God makes the good days. He also makes the bad days. He makes them both. Everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. And so what I want to focus on today is I want to look at some of the reasons why we suffer and, and then watch how Jesus, in this story and, and through this, these hours here, how he navigates his season of suffering because uh, I want us to be ready. I want us to be ready. I want us to be prepared because suffering is part of this life. The New Testament talks about it. And since we can't avoid all suffering, we need to know how to respond to it, how to be ready to, to endure it, and how to see our painful and agonizing seasons of suffering at least made worth it in the end, redeemed in the end. That's the kind of thing our God does. Uh, quickly, why suffering? Why, why is there suffering? Four basic, basic, basic reasons. Number one, suffering because we live in a fallen world filled with fallen and selfish people. Full, full of fallen and selfish people. This was, this was the reason here Jesus is suffering. This is his, his reason for suffering in this moment, uh, or at least part of the reason, because people were evil, because they're jealous of him, because they hated him, because they were rejecting him, because they were... They're, they're selfish and, and, and fallen. Also, because this is the point of Jesus' birth. Because people were fallen, because they were uh, rejecting God and God's ways, he, he was 
he came, was born for this moment to pay a price to bring hope, to bring salvation to a people who were fallen and needed it. Everyone in this room has already in your life suffered because of fallenness, because of people's selfishness. Maybe you've been physically hurt because of it. Maybe you've been verbally hurt because of it. Maybe you've been emotionally hurt or spiritually hurt by it. You, maybe you've been rejected or mocked or mistreated or betrayed or unloved. So much suffering takes place in this world due to selfish people wanting what they want, taking what they want, even though it hurts other people, even though it's hurt you. It's one reason one reason why, why there's suffering. Another reason we experience suffering, number two, is because of our own foolishness. In my handwritten notes, I, I have suffering because of our own stupid. Uh, I know it should be stupidity, but it, it sounds more stupid to say suffering because of our own stupid. Galatians chapter 6 talks about reaping what we sow. You sow stupid, you reap consequences. You reap suffering. We, we, show, we sow uh, short-term gain, we suffer long-term consequences. We eat rubbish, we feel rubbish. We're, we're mean to people, we lose friends. So much suffering comes from just our own making by being selfish for a moment and paying the price later. Uh, some suffering, some suffering is, comes from, from just being stupid. And, and I don't mean to underplay it with that casual word, it could be devastating to yourself and to other people around you. A moment of stupid can just be brutal. Thirdly, another reason, suffering because of God's discipline. Hebrews 12 talks about this, talks about God's discipline. Now, there's some people who think that every difficult moment in their life is God's discipline, that they're suffering because of God's discipline. These people have a hyper-guilt complex, and uh, a low understanding of God's grace and love and compassion and, and all that kind of stuff. There, there's people who are just think that if they're suffering, it's God's discipline. It's got to be. It's got to be. Um, and then there's other people who, who don't think of this enough. <laughs> who are just a little bit delusional. Man, you are mocking. You have rejected. You have ran away from God. You are your life is completely out of sync with, with God. And because God loves you, he's trying to bring you back. You need to get your life back on track. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we suffer because God's discipline. Fourthly, suffering because of our faith in Jesus. I, I've lost friends simply because I'm a pastor. It happens. Um, I know that some of you have lost friends simply because you're a Christian. You want to live like it. It happens. Okay, so there's four basic, basic reasons why, why we might experience suffering. Maybe we have experienced that thus far. Maybe we will in the days ahead. But we need to expect suffering. We're, we're encouraged to expect it and to be mindful and be ready. And it can be helpful to know why in this moment we're suffering. Is it because of God's discipline? Is it because of God's discipline? Is it because of my stupid? Uh, why am I suffering in this moment? And so that we can know how to rightly respond. God, I have been rejecting you for all these years or for all these days or for all these months or weeks or whatever it is. 
and, and I believe you're disciplining me because you love me and you're trying to get me back into alignment. I repent. I repent. Or God, right now I'm suffering because of someone else's evil. They're doing evil, and so I'm suffering. And so God, rescue me, help me, deliver me, uh, comfort me, walk with me in this time, put an end to this season. It can be helpful to know why. It can direct your, your prayers and your response to God. Okay, so Jesus is suffering here. And Pilate brings him out and says, Behold the man. Behold the man. This is the guy who, who you're just terrified and, and jealous of. And they all shout, Crucify! Crucify him! But Pilate doesn't want to, and so he reminds them that it's he who's, who's in charge, and, and he gets to decide, and, and not them. And he says, Take them and crucify him yourselves. And then this is how they respond in verse 7. We have a law, the Jews replied to him. And according to that law, he, Jesus, must die because he made himself the son of God. Or he called himself, he stylized himself, he referred to himself, he claimed, the, the, he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement... He was more afraid than ever. He was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not talking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And Jesus is probably thinking, yeah, you're doing a great job with that. Don't you know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who has handed me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate has got to be freaking out. He's got to be freaking out. In Matthew, we read that Pilate's wife had sent him, to, sent him a message saying not to do anything about that good man because she'd suffered in a dream because of him. He's got that in his mind. Pilate has in his mind that, that Jesus is innocent. He understands that he's innocent. Um, he, he, he's wanted to release him. He understands that there's something unique about Jesus. And then there's this claim of him being the son of God now, something that is not weird for a Roman to... The, Romans have boxes for, for that kind of... That, kind of um, that they have a worldview that, that that makes sense in. And he's got to be totally freaking out. And then with all of that, Jesus gives him the most gracious, gracious of answer. Jesus, who has just been shredded, flogged, spat upon, hit mocked under, under Pilate's directive. And he gives him this, this totally gracious, heavenly answer. You know, it's, there's others worse of, with more guilt, with more guilt. You wouldn't have any of this authority if it wasn't from above. Pilate's heard Jesus' claim to be king, and he's passed it on, a king not of this world, now son of God. And then he feels all this pressure to put him to death. All this pressure what is he going to, what does he do? Well, it says in verse 12 here, from that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, 
You are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside, sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the stone pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. So then, because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. The hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of this moment. The Jews despised Roman rule. They, they despised it, but they hated Jesus so much in this moment that they claimed to be this loyal allegiance to Rome, this, royal allegiance, this, this loyal allegiance to Caesar, and, and it's just so ironic that they rejected their long-awaited king. They were given the choice. Do you want the king or the robber? They, they rejected the king, the long-promised son of David, the Messiah, the rescuer, the, 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 the king of kings, the savior. They rejected that for Rome, for, for Caesar, who would come and steal and kill and destroy. That's what Rome is going to do in this generation. They are, they are rejecting their king for the robber, the one who's going to come and steal. In their lifetime... Rome is going to sweep in, destroy, tear down their precious temple, slaughter the people, 500,000 of them in the process, destroy Jerusalem. They are asking for the robber and rejecting their king, and that's what they're going to get. They pledge their allegiance to the one who's going to come and steal and kill and destroy so that they could get what they wanted today but sacrificing the future generations. <clears throat> you reject the king for the robber, and you end up paying so much more than you ever dreamed. Whether it's in addictions, whether it's in disappointments, whether it's in torment, in suffering and pain. So often the enemy entices us for, for allegiance to him today, for what, to get what we want today. But the long-term results are just horrific, evil, and tragic. Steal, kill, destroy. So we need to expect suffering. We need to expect suffering. If you're not in it now, you're going to be facing it one of these days. So how do you navigate seasons of suffering? How did Jesus navigate this time of intense suffering. Well, well, backing up, we need to remember, here's what's going on as he's able to navigate it. First of all, he's prepared by prayer. I think I called it a, a few weeks ago, preparedness or something like that. He's, he's prepared by prayer. Only a few hours earlier, we remember Jesus was horrified with what was about to happen. He was in anguish. He's in agony. He, he's pleading with God the Father, if there's any other way... Let this cup be taken from me. He's sweating drops of blood, the anguish, the agony. 
But Jesus is prepared for this moment because of time before this moment, of, before his moment of suffering, he was prepared by spending a lot of time in prayer with God. If you only pray in times of pain and crisis and urgency, you're only going to be reacting in your time of suffering. You're going to be reacting and you're going to potentially be swept away by that suffering before you can get on top of it in prayer again. If you're, if you're not already standing on the rock when the storm crashes into your life, it's easy to get swept away. I mean, you can pray like mad in that moment and God often does rescue and save but it's better to start the time of, of, of upheaval on the rock to begin with. If, you get un, if you're unprepared, or prepared, unprepared, you can get thrown off in con confusion. Sometimes people turn on God in the surprise and the shock of the moment. They, they, they experience this suffering and they, they turn on God because they, they're just not fully anchored. They're not fully anchored when that storm hit their lives. In one of my one of my favorite testimonies about this for myself is in in August 20, 2012, he called God called me very specifically to give him specific time every day in prayer an hour every day in prayer. And about two weeks later from that moment, I got one of the top five big pain moments of my life. Just a few weeks later, and I just praise God for Him uh, inviting me and, and commanding me and, and telling me and and commission calling me to be prepared. Because I'm about to hit a moment. I didn't know I was about to hit a moment. I was blind to it. But being prepared. A lifetime of daily prayer is huge for navigating the, the, sufferings, the suffering seasons. Which are sure to come. That's number one. Secondly, what we see in Jesus is understanding God's big picture perspective. When we're in pain... When we're in pain, when we're suffering, we tend to get really transfixed and, and zoom in on the pain. If I smash my elbow, all I can think about is my elbow for a moment, right? It just, it hurts. I've smashed my elbow. I'm not thinking, oh, you know what? I'm so thankful that my, my knee is, is doing great right now. That, that my other shoulder, wow, what a, what a great, my, my shoulder's doing so fantastic. And, and wow, how great to have hair like this. Um, I... It's just, you, you, you forget about all those joys, and, and you're just transfixed by the pain. Well, that's, that's how it is physically. You know that. That's how it is emotionally and just in life in times of suffering, where you just become transfixed by the pain in your life. And, and I think that's why Paul makes such a big deal of calling us to be thankful always. Because when you're set out to be thankful, you're not really thankful about your smashed elbow in that moment, other than that you still have an elbow or something like that. But, but it forces you to step back and be thankful. God, I'm thankful that it's just one elbow and not two. I, I'm, I'm thankful for, for the other things that are going on in life. And, and it just forces you, that thankfulness, to step back and to think bigger and, and, and just to see more of God's big pictures. Instead of zooming in on the suffering, which is the natural and normal thing to do, we need to be able to zoom way out, way out for understanding God's bigger picture perspective. Now, Jesus has spent time with the Father a lot. He knows the Father's bigger picture for this moment. And you get these glimpses that Jesus is not excited about being crucified. 
He says, is there any other way? I mean, Jesus has, has, has been able to have a special era of his existence where he's walking every day with these same people. He's able to touch people, heal people, um, speak, uh, speak, rebuke, correct, train, um, just walk from place to place slowly, dis- make disciples, have these friends, everyday friends. And, and now this season is coming to a, a quick end. And it's not his fault. He'd prefer, uh, he'd prefer that not to be the case at this particular moment. But in his prayer time, he's zoomed back. He knows why he's born. He knows that the suffering is a part of something much bigger. He understands that he is not here to persuade that generation as much as he would love to. He's not here to persuade that generation. Instead, he is suffering to provide a salvation, a rescue, a redemption, a, a, a help for every nation, every generation from that time forward. I, I just think it's, it's incredible that Jesus has provided in this moment of suffering salvation for nations he didn't even, that, that didn't exist in his time, that hadn't yet existed, and, and from our time have long since stopped existing. He has provided a salvation for people we've never heard of in countries we've never heard of that, that Jesus had never heard of and that we've never heard of. His gospel has gone out far beyond what, to the ends of the earth, throughout, throughout the years, throughout the generations. He's able to see his suffering in this moment is a much bigger thing than, than that day, even that generation. In our lives... We need to be asking the questions, God, show me your bigger picture perspective for this, this time of suffering. Help me, to, help me and, and help me to see it. If you're in a time of suffering, I, I wanna, I'm going to give you four things that it'd be great to be asking God for, that I would ask God for in every season of suffering. The first thing I would ask God for shamelessly, ask that the season of suffering be ended. That's okay to ask. That is totally fine to ask. Jesus Jesus is like, hey, if there's any other way, let's not not do the cross. I'm willing to do that, but I prefer not to do that. You can always ask. You can always ask, and I do. And I do, I will. Um, God hears those prayers. He does hear those prayers, and either he stops seasons of suffering, he can stop them instantly, or he can shorten seasons of suffering in his grace. He might bring physical healing instantly. He might strike down an enemy. We have examples of this all through the Bible. He might move someone far away. You can ask. You have, there's, there's thousands of things that God can do to quickly act in response to your suffering. You can ask that it be ended. The Psalms are filled with lines such as, help me, defend me, save me, come to my aid, rescue me. It's good. Ask for that. Now, sometimes, sometimes God doesn't act as quickly as we want. I know, gasp. Uh, Even by years. Even by years. And we find ourselves having to endure seasons of suffering. And, and if that's the case, you can keep calling on God to, to put an end to it. But also you can ask God at the same time for help to endure. I think it was George MacDonald who, who said, God will carry us in his arms till we're able to walk. 
and he will carry us in his arms when we're no longer able to walk, but he will not carry us if we just won't walk. And I think one of the things that George McDonald was saying is that when we, when we run out of strength, God is able to keep, to help us endure, to help us to keep going, to carry us in, in his arms on that day. But just keep going. Keep going today if you're able. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Ask for help to endure. Ask for help whether it's being carried or strength for today. Uh, ask for help. Second thing I would do. Thirdly, I'd ask for this to be used to maximum impact in your spiritual maturity. Ask for this to be used for maximum impact. Too many people suffer and learn too little from it. If you're going to suffer, you might as well learn as much as you might as well get as much benefit, personal benefit as you can. If God's going to allow it, ask God to, to maximize its personal impact in your life. And these impacts are likely going to be in the area of grace and trust, learning to pray, learning to pray more, uh, learning humility, being humbled, having some rough edges in your life smoothed out. Now, I'm not saying, please listen, that the reason for your suffering, that the reason for your suffering right now is exclusively for your spiritual growth. I'm not saying that that's God's reason for your suffering is for your spiritual growth. But I am saying that if God is allowing suffering for whatever the reason, you can gain from it in this way by using the suffering uh, for great personal benefit in spiritual maturity and losing, learning these things. Seasons of suffering are, are powerful seasons with potential huge, huge amounts of personal growth. If you have to suffer, make the most of it. And ask God to, God, help me make the most of this. Teach me in this moment. Uh, pull me out of this moment, I, please. Um, I feel like I've learned enough. If that's enough, then let's get out of this moment. But, but God, um, as long as I'm in it, keep teaching me. Take me deeper. Let me, let me get everything I can out of this moment as long as it lasts. Rescue me, but refine me. Refine me as well. Thirdly, that's what I'd be asking. And fourthly, I'd be asking, ask for this to be redeemed for far greater good than this season of present pain. That, that there would be so much more good as a result than the pain that you've experienced when all is said and done. Our God is a masterful redeemer. And in seasons of pain, it does not seem possible at all for there to be more good than the horror that you're, you're living through. But God takes the most helpless situations, the most hopeless situations, and uses them for more good, ultimately, than you could ever dream. Nothing more obvious than this moment with Jesus, where he's suffering and, and he's being treated horribly, and yet his, his, his crucifixion brings salvation and hope to everyone. I mean, that, everyone who gives their lives to Jesus, I mean. Um, that, there's nothing more obvious than that, God using this horrible moment for great, great good. But it's also true in our lives as well. Paul writes about it. He writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He... 
comforts us in all, in all our affliction. He comforts us in all our affliction or sufferings so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction or suffering through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I have seen people humbled by the most humiliating personal failures, self-inflicted stupidity, resulting in huge amount of pain for them, for, for the people around them, all their, all their fault. And I've seen that redeemed for ultimately for a huge impact in other people's lives for good someday. Was it good? No, it was evil, but it, it can be redeemed. It can be redeemed. I've seen, I've seen people broken and having lived through nightmares, just nightmares due to other people's sin and selfishness and, and evil. I've seen people navigate or survive through those seasons and ultimately be brought through those seasons to have a huge impact on others living through similar nightmares. There's no suffering that God is not able to do more good with than the pain that you're currently enduring. There's no type of suffering that even of your own making and your own fault that, that God can't use to great good as you repent, as you come to Him, as you get your life back on track, and as you trust Him in the days ahead. Everyone has seasons of suffering. Get prepared. Get prepared now uh, by by establishing that prayer, that, that, uh, that consistent daily prayer. And then as you, as you enter seasons of suffering, learn how to zoom way back out again. Understanding God's big picture. Sometimes you have to zoom way, way out. But God, but if God, if God isn't going to take you out of it, it's, it's our prayer here at this church that our amazing God will help you in your moment. If he's not going to take you out of it, out of it, which we pray, that God will help you in it, that he will mature you through it, and that he will redeem this horrible situation for a greater good than the evil you're currently experiencing. I've got three challenges for you today. The challenges are this. Number one, I want you to think of a, a current or recent time of suffering and be answering the question, what good thing could you learn in it? And what are some things God could do through you and your story someday for great good? Having those in mind helps you zoom way back out and just be like, okay, this could be part of God's plans and purposes for my life to, to use this horrible evil for greater good someday. Secondly, bring thankful prayers to God. Not about the evil. God, I'm so thankful for the evil. No. But because of the good God can do in you and through you as a redemptive result of, this, of the suffering. And thirdly, ask for a greater positive impact than the cost of the suffering. Be asking those things.